All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome. If you have your Bibles, let's go to a risque book this morning. Can we do that? Show those risque books in the Bible. Some of you are looking at me like weird. Go to the book of the Song of Solomon. No worries, I preached on sex last week. Don't, don't, don't worry. Some of you are rushing your teenagers out of here. It's all good. No. Now, last week, we had uh, some amazing conversations with individuals after service and even throughout the week, and just, uh, I love watching God set people free, uh, especially in the area of sexuality. Um, God gave it to us as a gift, and I believe God's going to bless our marriages. Um, if you are brand new, welcome. Um, and such an intense worship service, which is phenomenal. And Bob, if we can crank the air a little bit, I am marinating up here. They are clapping for my sweating. Uh, that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tad, it's a tad stuffy. Thank God I don't preach in suits. Goodness gracious. And uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, something that we, we are doing during this whole series is we're doing some questionnaires um, and we're giving away some dates to some married couples. So use the QR code on the back of your seats. And if you would scan that, fill out the questionnaire. At the end of the service, we're going to give away a couple dates. And we're going to read some results. So keep your results clean, please. I don't think we had, I've ever had a problem with that. I don't feel like I had to say that, but why not? Let's just do that. Um, and uh, I believe God's going to do some great things today. Even if I do ramble today, I just believe that God is going to do some, some great things. So... Um, would you stand for the reading of the word today? Some of you are filling out the questionnaire, that's fine. One verse today. It is perhaps my favorite verse in the entirety of the book of the Song of Solomon. Um, it's, uh, I actually did a whole series out of it. Actually, I've done two series in years past out of this verse, and I feel like the Lord led me back to this verse to do a completely different message. Um, Song of Solomon 2, verse 15 Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Something I've taught you for years as your pastors, when you see words repeated, that's important. Uh, the word foxes is what we kind of sat on a few years back, but it's the word vineyards that we're going to look at. There's something beautiful about the depth of God's word that you can keep coming back to the scriptures and just find layer after layer after layer after layer. I have grown up in church. I went to church in the womb and outside the womb. I cut my teeth on pews. Man, something my dad says. What has happened to me? Um, I, I've I've heard stories of scripture over and over for years and it astounds me how much scripture is like a diamond and you twist it a little bit, not twist the scriptures by the way, you just turn it in the light a little bit and all of a sudden there's a different angle, a, a nugget that you haven't seen before and we're going to sit on one word today, there's the depths of scripture and it's the word vineyard. God is going to restore the vineyard of relationships, the vineyards of friendships and specifically today I believe he's going to restore, restore the vineyards of marriages. Um, before we pray, I just want to speak just briefly to those in the room that are single because the question has, that comes up every marriage series. Do you think that I need a spouse to be complete? Let me just say this. You don't need a single soul on earth to be made complete. You're not made complete by humanity. You are made complete by God. Marriage doesn't complete you. Only God can do that. And when we place a demand on human beings to do what God can only do, we place a demand upon people for which they are never equipped to meet. God is who completes you. Not humanity, not a husband, not a wife, 
God forbid that we've taken the icon of marriage and we've made it into an idol. And I'm, I'm supposed to teach. I'm not supposed to preach today, so I'm just going to stop that. We're just going to teach and pray. Jesus, today, we, one more time, thank you for just the beautiful atmosphere of worship. Lord Jesus, just the, the sound of people singing in the room and, and lifting up your name, Lord, it just, it touches my spirit. It just makes me feel alive as, as, a, as a human being, as a pastor. I ask that you would just take this time and, Lord, let our, our, the soil of our hearts be like seed upon good soil that we would see much fruit born, that we would walk away from this place differently than the way that we walked in. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, what everyone said. Give someone an awkward high five before you're seated. Let me, all right, first of all, the Holy Spirit's pretty cool. And let me tell you how cool the Holy Spirit is. Like, what word am I preaching on today? Vineyard. So I'm getting, I just sit down after worship, and uh, numbers of times people would just send me the words that the Lord is speaking to them, whether it's uh, to me or to the church. And so this is, I'll literally, 10.20. So 10.20 a.m. this morning, 21 minutes ago, this is the word that I get from somebody, from the Holy Spirit, just says, now, you say, you are separated from me, now I've brought you back to myself and planted you with the vine. You are now, you are attached with me and you're bearing fruit. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And I believe there's some people here, you feel detached from the vine, God's going to attach your life today. It's going to attach your heart, so I'm supposed to just teach today. So I'm going to be Teacher Dave. Uh, Next week, Pierce Davis, one of our favorite missionaries, um, is going to come. He's going to speak. We're going to do a love offering. He helps minister to unreached people groups, people who have never heard the name of Jesus. We're going to do a love offering for for Pierce and Megan Davis next week. And then the week after, we'll start a brand new series. It's called Questions Jesus Asked, but it's going to be volume two because we started preaching last year, last summer, about those questions. We're going to do more questions, and I cannot wait to preach the gospels this coming summer but let's wrap up our marriage series and there is a great story out of a book called the book of romance by tommy nelson and he he tells of a couple that woke up and they're both getting ready for work and so you know it's just one of those mornings where like husband he's he's eating breakfast and his wife she's getting her coffee and she's She's having, kind of having an intense moment because she's got a big business meeting coming up in just a couple hours. So she's getting her coffee. She's got, she's got a dress on that's just got the power dress. She's ready for her meeting. And her husband just kind of gives her a look. And she just doesn't have time for that in the moment. And so he wants to get her attention. Isn't it wild how us, some, us husbands sometimes don't get the hint? No wives amen that, which shocks me. So he walks over, and she got the zipper just on the back of her dress, and he starts, kind of zips it down and zips it back up, and she just shakes it. And he's like, okay, she's being playful. She's not being playful. So he unzips it, zips up, zips up, zips up, zips up, and she's doing this. And he's getting a lot more playful, so he pulls on the zipper right when she turns, but he holds on to the zipper and pulls the zipper off. She is insanely angry. So nevertheless, she changes, grabs her coffee, and she just leaves, which is probably for the betterment of the moment. 
And now this is where there's a difference between men and women when it comes to our thought patterns, and there's always exceptions to the rule. If you ever do premarital or marital counseling with me, there are always exceptions to the rules and the generalities. But uh, for most men, their brains are like a hallway with doors. Because they have the work door, the play door, the church door, the sex door. Well, there's multiple sex doors, I think. Um, then, but they can compartmentalize their lives. And so whatever happened in the morning goes behind the morning door and they just move on. But for the average woman, their mind is, I say, like a, a studio apartment where everything is intersecting with everything. And so where he has moved on, she, she, she's still attaching what happened with her last interaction with her husband. She, she comes home and she sees him underneath the car working on the car because the mufflers had an issue, so he's going to fix the muffler. So she walks up and she's just angry. She's like, I'm going to get him back. So she goes down. She just sees his leg. She grabs the zipper on his jeans, pulls it down and zips it up. And he, like, he jerks like this, and then she's like, ha, she does again. How do you like it? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and he's not uttering a word, and now she's angry, fuming. So she just, just goes off into the house, and there's her husband standing in the kitchen. She's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I live here. Why aren't you underneath the car? He's like, why? Why I do that? I don't know how to fix the muffler. Joe from next door is fixing the muffler. So she goes out there and he's still laying there. Because what happened is like, if you're under the car and somebody grabs your zipper, you try to sit up and Joe's out cold underneath the car. This has nothing to do with anything, by the way. It's just a good way to start a message. Sorry, teaching. I love talking through marriage and talking through the issues of marriage, talking through conflict, talking through roles. I, I love talking about unity and chasing each other, taking timeouts from each other when you need to take a breath during conflict. I love steering people toward good, godly counseling. I love talking about marriage because marriage really should be exactly what the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15 says. It is a vineyard. And yet there is an enemy that would love to spoil the vineyards. That's the little foxes who in the, the, if you look at the hermeneutics of it all, the background of it all, you'll know that in the Middle East there are, there are these jackals, these, these type of Middle Eastern foxes that will go into vineyards and when the, when the vines start sprouting, they'll nibble on the vines and they'll try to nibble on them when they start sprouting and if they get nibbled on, then the sprouts never become the fruit and the fruit never becomes wine and wine has always been the symbol of blessing in Scripture. And so immediately, we get this word in this very romantic book that if you looked at the Hebrew, it would make you blush. That's how deep this book is. And Solomon talks about this romance, this conversation, this marriage that we have in the book of the Song of Solomon. This marriage is a vineyard. And one of the greatest opportunities I've ever had in my life is to get a tour of a vineyard. My wife and I, our family, we went to Napa Valley eons ago uh, because somebody said, you need to go take a tour of a vineyard. So, they, the vineyard. so we went to just take a tour. And I'm telling you what, it was one of the greatest lessons in the kingdom of God I've ever had in my life is listening to people talk about a vineyard. In fact, you want to know the title of a person who cares for the vines? It's a husbandman. And we got to listen to a husbandman talk to us about vineyards. 
I don't know about you, but if you go through tours, do you take notes? I take notes because bad things don't happen to pastors, only sermon illustrations do. So I'm always taking notes about what, what's happening, what's going on. And this was nothing bad about this. This was just the most beautiful thing to sit and to talk about this beautiful vineyard. It was the Robert Mendave Vineyard. And the story goes that during the time of prohibition, when prohibition was, was, lit, was not lifted but actually put in place, they said people came through like terrorists burning the fields of all of the Napa Valley, destroying everybody's crops. Alcohol is illegal, so we're just going to take care of all of this. And Robert Mandave was one of the only men able to defend his crops and to keep his vines, to keep his land, and defended it. So when prohibition was lifted, this is what's cool, is Robert Mandave not only hired people that used to own their own fields, that lost them to fires and to acts of terror, but he helped them get up on their feet. Help them get established because he had a mindset that if we can raise, instead of the vintage of my vineyard, but if we can raise the vintage of the valley, the world will be blessed. And so he helped people start their own vineyards, begin their own vineyards. And then when he would learn little secrets, he would learn little like tweaks to the fermentation process or the bottling process. Whenever he would learn something new, he would call all of the vineyard owners together and sit around the table and he would share his secret. I learned something new. You need to know this. And people are like, why would he do that? He could have separated himself because he never wanted to think of his own vineyard. He recognized he was part of something greater. And when he shared what he knew, it raised the level of the vintage of the valley. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm supposed to teach this morning, but can I challenge your hearts today that we cannot be a people that are worried just about K-first because K-first is not the complete kingdom of God. It's that when we start living in unity with each other and unity with other gospel churches, what we are doing is we are raising the level of the vintage of the kingdom of God. And what happens is when we walk in disunity and we're taking shots at other churches and we're living in competitions, we are souring the taste of the vintage and the mouth of the people that need to see the kingdom of God. We need to be a people ready to do what John chapter 15, when Jesus says, remain in me. We're not here to remain in a denomination or remain in a church or remain in a pastor. We remain in Jesus and we raise the vintage of the kingdom. But I'm going to teach today. I'm not going to preach today. So when we are going to talk about vineyards, man, I got all paranoid. Someone's rushing the stage. This is Bob. Bob takes care of our building. Give it up for Bob. Bob's the best. Man, I got my heart racing a little bit, Bob. Trailer Park Dave almost came out. So let's talk, about, let's talk about valleys, let's talk about um, vineyards this morning. So I'm going to give you four words. Four words start with the letter C, as what preachers do. We, we do things like this to help you remember. So if you're writing down words, you write, would you write down the word cultivate? If our marriages, our relationships are going to be like a vineyard, we have to cultivate. That word cultivate means to prioritize and promote growth with labor, skill, and attention. Notice those three things in the definition, labor, skill, and attention. I have so many people that will talk to me, well, pastor, you know, I, I don't know if our marriage is going to work. We just don't have the right chemistry. I'm here to tell you that chemistry does not make marriage work. Work makes marriage work. It takes labor, skill, and attention, but we have to remember we're not here to prioritize just remaining the same. We want to promote 
growth. And what that tells me is us as individuals and in our marriages, our relationships, we have to learn, we have to cultivate. If you want to see the fruit in your marriage, you have to cultivate an atmosphere for which your marriage can grow. Have you ever tried to make a plant grow fruit? It's stupid. Ever yell at a plant, grow! And how many of you had results when it happened? None of you. Please don't lift up your hands. You're going to get laughed at. No! You can't demand it. I read this article that talks about the, it's called The End of Marriage in America. <laughs> how awesome is that? So since the start of the 21st century, the U.S. marriage rate has declined uh, from more than eight marriages per thousand down to six marriages per thousand uh, back in 2019. That may not seem like a lot, but it is now the, we have now have the lowest level marriage rate since the U.S. government began keeping marriage records in the country in 1867. That's astounding. And in fact, I was looking at stats. You know the, the state that has the highest marriage rate? Anybody have any guesses? Throw it out there. Someone said Utah, Rhode Island. Rhode Island, that's actually a really good guess. Utah, Rhode Island, no. Anybody else? Colorado, no. Not Alaska, Iowa, no. I'll give it to you. Nevada. Because Elvis is marrying everybody. Nevada has the highest marriage rate. Okay, do you want to know what state has the highest divorce rate? Nevada. What happens in Vegas apparently stays in Vegas. 70%, excuse me, 70 years ago, approximately 80% of U.S. households were made up of married couples. In 2020, that rate has fallen to 49% of households. Statistics will say this, that no matter who you are, background, whatever, that 90% of you will be married at some point in your life. Why do I take a month to preach on marriage? Number one, I think it's important. Number two, that it hits 90% of individuals, minimally 90% of individuals that will be married or may be married or may interact with somebody who's getting married. We have to recognize that we have got a vineyard and when there's a vineyard, we have responsibility to do something about that vineyard. We have responsibility to grow it because how many of you that got married that when you got married, you didn't have everything figured out? Anybody have it figured out the first day you got married? No, not at all. And the person that you dated, isn't dating a lie? There's so much lying that goes on during dating. The things that we told our then fiancé or girlfriend or boyfriend that we liked, we really didn't like. The music I used to play in my car as we're driving, I thought was great. Didn't play after we got married. It's like, I got you. We don't listen to Striper anymore. Like, What? Yeah, don't judge me. You got your own stuff. But we get into this place where we, we don't realize how much work goes into marriage. And so when the scripture says that the, the things that are spoiling the vineyards, our vineyards are in blossom, it's telling us protect the vineyards, but you have to work and cultivate the vineyards. Did you know that when you plant a vine, it takes three years to actually produce usable grapes? Three years. Some of you in your first two years of, of marriage are expecting more of your spouse than you ought to. And I'm here to challenge you this. Don't expect fruit that you, you did not work for and results that you did not seed. 
Some of you are wanting results in your marriage, but you haven't worked for it in your marriage, or you haven't worked together in that in your marriage. Some of you are expecting things in your friendships you haven't even grown, you haven't seeded, you haven't worked for. You have to cultivate soil. You have to tend to vines. You have to look for pests, and then you have to know how to harvest. Marriage is work. In fact, some vineyards, they say that they can get machines to go through the vineyards, and they can pick in one hour what it takes 80 people to harvest in one day. But most vineyards will choose to still use human beings to harvest the grapes. Why? Because they can tell the difference between good grapes and bad grapes. And some of us are just collecting all of the fruit and we're wondering why things are sour. We need to learn how to work it. We need to be hands-on and fully present in our marriages. Let me give you just a few practical things here. How can you stay fully present in your marriage? If you're a note-taker, let me give you four things. Number one, focus on the here and now. Focus on the here and now. Man, I am marinating like crazy up here. Focus on the here and now. Some of us are so busy lying awake at night looking, looking for the next season and we're not fully present in this season. Maybe things will get better when the kids get past a certain age. Maybe things get better after this job changes. Maybe things will get better. We're always living in maybe what it could be and you're missing out on what you could be tending to right now and growing right now. Number two, stop laying awake at night. Some of you are festering on things that happened in your past that you haven't got yourself over. Some of you are festering over things that your spouse did that you just refuse to forgive. And then you're even more angry at that person because they're sleeping just fine and you're lying awake right next to them. Sometimes we need to learn how to let something go and trust it into the hands of God while taking the proper uh, procedures moving forward to make sure things don't fester to keep us awake at night. Number three, limit distractions when you are together. It's one of the reasons why if Ann and I go out on a date, I, don't, I shouldn't face a screen in any type of restaurant. Why? Because while I'm listening or talking with her, the eyes are looking at scores above her head. Limit distractions when you're together. And number four, see things how they are. Sometimes we are so caught up in our pain that we're not actually seeing how things really are. That's why we need the perspective of God. Did you know in the Napa Valley, I learned this, that they will hire NASA, the same people that look at the, the layout, the land of Mars, and will map that out. They hire those same people to oversee and to give satellite images and pictures to get the layout of the Napa Valley. Why do they do that? Because sometimes you need a perspective beyond what you see in the earthly to see down from afar to give you a perspective of how things really are. We can get so caught up with what's wrong, how things are going, how things will never get any better. And sometimes we are fighting our marriages with flesh and blood, but Scripture says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. That's Ephesians chapter 6. And there are times that we need to just stop wrestling in what we can see in the valley and call out to the one that can see above it that gives us hope beyond where we're at and strength to do what we cannot do. See, marriage in the garden was at harmony when we listened to the voice of God. It was only when we elevated other voices that we invited catastrophe. God, give us perspective. Give us the NASA perspective. Give us the above perspective that we can stop listening to the voices of the people whispering, just leave him, just leave her. You can find better. You can do better. This could be better. That could be better. God, give us your perspective and let me see, let's see you raise up these vineyards so that fruit can be born. 
We live in so much comparison. There's one husbandman that was taking care of 800 acres of vines. And he knows he's got 800 acres, but he doesn't see it as 800 acres. He actually sees it as 167 blocks. And each block is a collection of rows. And he recognizes that each block has different needs for different seasons because each block, some gets shade, some doesn't get shade. The water really gets to some spots and it doesn't get to some spots. And so when, as the seasons unfold, he recognizes that block 26 might have a different need than block 76. What does that tell me? Is that some of us are so busy watching other people, other marriages, other blocks cultivate, and we're so busy comparing ourselves with what they're doing, we haven't asked God, what should we be doing now? We're, we're looking like, well, these people are doing this. We ought to do this. We have yet to seek the face of God and say, God, how should we do this ourselves? And we're so busy watching people, other people cultivate. We're not cultivating ourselves. Number two, write down the word clinging. Clinging. Cultivate clinging. Vines cling to things that they grow to. According to goodfarmsandhousekeeping.com, which has a YouTube site, you put up large, thick posts, and you string metal, almost like string. It looks like metal string. It's metal wiring in between, and you have to have it ultra strong, especially when you start off with a young plant. Why? Because whatever structure it's given to, that, that vine attached to the right structure can grow almost infinitely through almost any circumstance. But if you put up two little poles, little broomsticks, with a little bit of light wiring, that thing will pull on it, pull it down, and it's got no place to grow. The problem that we've got in marriages is we are clinging to the wrong structures. We are, we are clinging to the structures of what social media shows us, or what culture has handed us, of what our, our best friends are feeding into our brains and feeding into our ears, and we're not connecting to the culture of what God has called us to. The language of clinging is something very biblical, because Scripture says in the book of Genesis chapter 2, it says, you must leave your father and mother, hallelujah, and then you cleave, the King James says, or another word is you cling to your spouse. You cling to your spouse. It's, it's the idea of coming together. I was going to do this illustration and put a wedding cake on the stage. Do you know what's expensive? I haven't bought a wedding cake in, in a while. And so I was going to do a wedding cake. And I'm like, okay, that didn't work. And so I tried finding a little groom. I was going to get like a normal like Walmart cake. That's where my brain was going. And get a little groom and a, and a bride topper for the top. And I couldn't find ones that separated them, which I guess is a good thing. I was going to like cut it in half, and that was going to become an expensive illustration. And all I wanted to do was this, is quite often, is that's how we started. And many times we start putting things in between on the top tier of life, and we live in that place. And when instead of clinging to each other, we cling to social media. We cling to people's opinions. We cling to what our parents think of our spouse. We cling to what people have been saying. We cling to what our feelings often tell us when many times they can be wrong. We cling to so many things on the top tier when they should be lower tier, and not clinging to that which has brought us together. And we say it so often in marriages, what God God has brought together, let no one put asunder. See, whatever God unites, the devil opposes. So we have to learn to fight for marriage, just not, just not simply fight within them. You hear that? What God unites, the devil opposes. Do you know what the devil is afraid of? 
He's afraid of couples that will unite because, man, infinite things can happen if couples will unite. You know what he's afraid of for Kalamazoo County? It's a church that will unite. People that will come together. People that will get of one mind, one heart, one spirit. Get a hold of God. Let God get a hold of them and move. The enemy loves to divide that which God wants to bring together. We got to cling. It leads me toward number three. Climb. Climb. One of my favorite words in the world. Climb. The largest vine in the known world right now is in England, in the Hampton Court Palace. It is 250 feet long, excuse me, meters long. Its longest branch is 100 feet. So 250 meters, and the longest branch in and of itself is 100 feet long. The largest point of it is 15 feet tall. How did it grow over the past 250 years? Excuse me, over the past century. Someone cultivated, someone gave it something to cling to, and somebody gave it the ability to climb. What is the climb? It is the work the vine does when it's given something, a structure to cling to. It's the work that we do. We have been given the structure of not just the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, but we have also been given the structure of till death do us part. And when we walk into that structure, we've given something to climb on. But pastor, do you understand how hard marriage is? You're talking to somebody 25 years into it that's still learning. And this is something I learned at the vineyard. Is Robert, the, the, the lead person, the husbandman, told us this. He says, when we get an infant vine, so to speak, a small little vineyard plant. He says, what we do, he says, what you do in your homes is you'll go get the best dirt and you'll put it in a pot and you will put it in your house and you'll water it and you'll try to take care of it. He says, but us, we've got a bigger picture. Is when we get the smallest vines, we put it in the worst soil imaginable. He says, you want to know why? And Rawls is like confused. Like, why would you do that? That's, that sounds hideous. He says, because the greater the struggle, the sweeter the vintage. The more work it's got to do, the greater opportunities grow out of that. To young couples, do not give up too early. To seasoned couples, don't throw in the towel. Because scripture tells us in Galatians 6.19 is that if we don't give up, if we don't faint, if we keep growing, we keep feeding, we keep tending, that we will produce a sweet vintage. Ladies and gentlemen, husbands and wives, keep climbing. Because your marriage is not measured by your feelings. Your marriage is measured by your commitment. Keep climbing. Keep working. Keep working. Did you know this about the Napa Valley? That 50 million cases are produced in the Napa Valley every year alone. And that 50 million cases, we're not bottles, cases, it makes up 27% of California's total wine industry. They're like, wow, how big is their vineyard? Let me give you this stat. They only make up 4% of all, of the, all, of all the, the wine grape crops. They can do in 4% enough to make up more than a quarter of the entire industry of California. Don't tell me all we got left, right? Pastor, we're running on fumes. All we got is 4%. Do you understand what God can do with your 4%? Do you know what God can do with the 4% of patience that you've got left with your spouse? 
what God can do with that 4% of your sanity that's left, or 4% of the love that's still left in your heart, what God can do with your 4%, and how he can grow that, how he can flourish it, and what that struggle can produce through your marriage. Give God that 4%. Now, in every bottle of wine, it takes 1,402 grapes to fill that bottle. 1,402 grapes. And know what that tells me? is that part of the ways that God grows vintages here on earth is that sometimes you've got to go through a crushing. And some of the sweetest moments of our marriage were not always when things went good. It's when we came out of the other side. Us preachers have talked about this for years. Is that you never see any greenery on mountaintops. You see it in the valleys. Because it's there in the valley and in the struggle that God creates new wine sweet wine, a sweet vintage out of your life. Now, vineyard owners will tell you that their, their vines only produce fruit 100 to 150 days out of the entire year. Out of 365 days, less than one half of the year is only in production. Some of us are so busy comparing ourselves with other people's marriages that we, see, we think they're producing, but we're not producing. Listen, you're not going to produce every single day of the year. You're not going to have good days every single day of the year. Some of you woke up to a not-so-good day. But let me encourage you that God still utilizes that to raise the vintage of the kingdom. You don't have to have fruit every day. God's still going to grow you. Emily, if you can join me. Lastly, write down the word clusters. Clusters. We cultivate, we cling, we climb, and we have clusters. Why clusters? Because it's the only C word I can think of when it comes to the fruit being born. When we've worked hard on our relationships, the beautiful thing is this, that God can grow something out of it. Now, I will admit, I don't like comparing wine to my, marriage to wine because the, uh, marriage, I believe, does get better with age, but with wine, wine only gets better with age if you don't touch it. Therefore, I don't like the metaphor so much. But I'm here to say there's a truth to it. But there's a problem. You see, in America, 90% of the wine that gets bought gets drunk within the first 24 hours. Because we buy something, we want to consume it immediately and enjoy it all immediately. But if we were to actually sit on it for a while, let it rest for a while, store it appropriately, care for it appropriately, what seems so ordinary over time becomes a stronger, more beautiful vintage. I'm told that a bottle of wine, properly aged, can have up to 50 unique, different uh, flavors. And it tells us that over time, that God will begin to develop different flavors of our marriages, different flavors of our personalities. But what we have to do is we have to just stop chasing what everyone else is doing. We have to get the perspective of God and let God pour into us and let God shape us because I believe God wants to develop something beautiful out of who you are and what you've become but you have to guard what God has given you. There's a restaurant in Paris that has one of the oldest bottles of wine in the world. I'm laughing. I've never had a sip of wine in my life, and I'm talking to you about wine today. But if you want to learn about things in Scripture, this is the stuff that you got to study. And there in Paris, there is over, in this restaurant, there's over 350,000 bottles of wine, some of them going back to 1845. 
And now this is what's crazy is this same restaurant, its city went under siege by the Nazis back in the 1940s. And so the owner was brilliant because the Nazis would go into museums and take the artworks of art they wanted, burn everything else. They would go into places like this, wineries, they would take out the best, destroy everything else. And so when the Nazis were beginning to invade, this owner went down, took bricks, and he built up a false wall inside the, the, the wine vats, inside the winery, and then he began to put tar and dirt over top of those bricks to make the bricks look aged. And then he took a torch and began to burn the labels of all of his vintages to make them look like they were the oldest ones, and he was actually burning the newest ones. So the Nazis came in. Like, they grabbed all of the old stuff and took off. And when World War II was won, the Nazis had been defeated. The owner went down and just simply knocked down a false wall and preserved hundreds to thousands of vintages that would have been taken away had he not just simply put up a wall and say, the enemy stops here. I'm protecting what is most valuable. God has not called us to be victimized by the enemy. God's called us to set up a, a standard. Scripture says when the enemy moves in like a flood, the Spirit of God will set up a standard. But some of us, we haven't taken those motions forward to say, Spirit of God, right here, we're stopping this. Some of us are so busy trying to figure out how to call it quits rather than figuring out how to call upon the Lord. It's like, God, would you do a miracle? And start with me. Instead of start with my husband or start with my wife, start with me. Because the foxes are coming in to try to spoil the vines. And sometimes we're so busy trying to be defensive and insecure about our own issues that we haven't taken a stand to say, we're putting up a wall. We're protecting the vineyards. We're protecting the vintage. Because you know what you do? When we protect the vintage of marriage in the church, we have a vintage for future generations to partake and to look and to ask questions so that when they go through, go through struggles, they can call upon people to church and say, how did you go through it? How did you do it? I love talking to people on their anniversaries. Pastor, it's our 35th. It's our 40th. It's our 45th. I love asking, how did you do it? I love the answers I get. And I crave the answers, not because I want to preach about them, because I need them, because we're... We're not there yet. There are vintages waiting for people to taste and we will never have the vintages if our marriage and our marriage and divorce rates look no different than what the world has given us. Our vineyards are in blossom. I'm here to say the day and age of the marriages surviving are still here. There are better days ahead for our marriages. The world says... What was, what was the article? The end of marriage in America. I'm here to say that we've only just begun. God has more in store for our lives that I believe he's going to do because the kingdom of God is going to be full of husbands and wives. They're going to choose to look at their marriages and say, these are vineyards that are going to grow. These are vineyards that are going to set the pace for our kids. These are vineyards our grandkids are going to be able to partake from and taste from. And when people see the miracles happen in our marriage, I believe they're going to believe for miracles in theirs. And so I say, Lord, would you do it? Take the me. 
take the we and create it into us. In Jesus' name, would you bow your heads with me? I'm done rambling. Lord Jesus, I ask that today, I pray for a Holy Spirit tenacity in the house. That we would be a people that would look at our marriage as a, it's a vineyard. It's a place that's going to grow. But it's going to be a place that we need to cultivate. And Lord, I pray for marriages right now that, Lord, I believe you're challenging right here in this moment. You're challenging them to cultivate atmospheres. They've been wanting growth. They've been wanting fruit. But Lord, they have never taken the steps to cultivate it. Lord, maybe they've never done anything to feed their marriage. Maybe they've never gotten the counseling that they've needed. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work within us, God, that would cause us to want to do a work to cultivate that we would see fruit born. God, that we would cling through the right structures, Lord, that we would recognize that the structure we need to cling to ultimately is you. That we would stop clinging to other things and other people, that, Lord, we learn how to cling to each other and cling to you. Because, Lord, your word says in Ecclesiastes that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, God. When it's when a husband and wife and, and the Spirit of God come together, Lord, that's practically unbreakable. God, that you would give us the ability to climb and to push forward. The ability to do the work that is necessary, God, even when we feel weary. The scripture says, they that wait on the Lord, you will renew their strength, God, that we will run and not grow weary. And we don't want to get weary in due season because a harvest will come if we just keep climbing. And lastly, Lord, I pray that this would be a church that would be full of fruit. Lord, fruit born from these married lives, God, that people, when they see our marriages, God, they don't see perfection in the least bit, God, but they see a work that can only be explained because the power of the Spirit of God has impacted, challenged, changed, shaped, moved, empowered, and it's continuing to grow these vineyards. So, Lord, I just speak blessings upon these marriages. I ask that, Lord, you would just bless them, that you would keep them, let your face shine upon them and be gracious unto them that you would let your face turn toward them and let them walk in peace. We speak that in Jesus' name and everyone said. Can we give God the praise for just the word this morning?